Good morning, everyone. Good morning. What a great day. Awesome weather outside for this Memorial Day weekend. We want to make sure and remember uh, the reason for Memorial Day is remembering those that uh, lost their lives in uh, fighting the battles for our freedom. We need to be thankful and grateful for our freedom. Amen. That we're able to uh, speak the things that we'll speak about this morning freely and openly with an open mic and nobody to challenge us or say that it is illegal or against their way of thinking. I'm grateful for America. I'm grateful that uh, we're able to aid the rest of the world in promoting freedom, promoting liberty, uh, promoting happiness. Amen. This series that we're in called A Fruit-Filled Summer, a biblical guide to that, how to live a fruit-filled summer, we're looking at uh, different portions of Scripture. Uh, most of the text that we're taking uh, this from is in Galatians chapter 5 that talks about uh, the fruits of the Spirit that Paul lists to the Galatian people, the tribe of Galatia, the church at Galatia. He's writing back a message to them, a, a clear writing. And we've talked about many different things. There's nine of those listed there in Galatians chapter 5, nine different fruits of the Spirit that Paul lists. Uh, we've talked about many different things this far, uh, last week being long-suffering, and hopefully we all were able to learn that uh, fruit and prepare for it and uh, benefit from it. We've talked about things such as love. We've talked about uh, kindness. We've talked about peace or about patience, we've talked about a lot of different things. But this week we're going to talk about faith. One of the fruits of the Spirit that is listed in Paul's uh, epistle to Galatians in chapter 5 there is the fruit of faith. And also we've been looking at this from the perspective that King Solomon said in, back in Proverbs that says that ants are not a strong people, but they store up fruit for the winter. And how that we are to have, if we're going to have a biblical guide this spring, leading into the summer to have a fruitful summer we need to have a uh, thought process going that we're understanding these things that we're thinking about these things and i hope and pray that we will have enough love built up through the summer to make it through the winter that we'll have enough long suffering to get through the winter that we'll have enough kindness to make it through the winter that we'll have enough patience to get along with other people to make it through the winter how many need some of those things amen but today we're going to talk about faith and the gift of faith that is listed there, or the fruit of faith, it is only one of the fruit of the Spirit that is also listed in the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It lists the gifts of the Spirit that uh, Paul talks about to the church that they are there and available, that God gives gifts to men. And he tells us those gifts, and it's the only one that is a gift and is also a fruit. So the gift or the fruit of faith. And as I begin to think about and ponder about this uh, faith topic, it's one that, I, that takes me back a long way in my journey in my Christianity because the earliest verse, I told you guys a few weeks ago, that the earliest verse that I memorized, that I applied to my heart, that I accepted was in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. It says, but without faith it's impossible to please God. And whenever I read that, it struck across the page at me as being something that if I want to please God, I have to have faith. Amen. Amen? That I must have this faith that 
the Bible's talking about. And as I pondered about that, and I, I thought about that, my early Christianity was all based on that, uh, around that thought, around that uh, verse that it says, without faith it's impossible to please God. For those that come to Him must believe that He is. We must believe there is a God. Amen. And we must believe that He rewards those that diligently seek Him. That's Hebrews 11, verse 6. We've got to believe that He is, first off, and we have to believe that He rewards those that diligently seek Him. And what does it mean to diligently seek God? How can we be diligent in our approach to seek God? So as I did that in my early part of my Christianity, I just I filled my life with all these faith verses that these... these uh, quotes in scripture about faith and I, I pondered faith a lot because it was my verse that God gave to me. And I want to please God. Hopefully and prayerfully you do as well. So if you're going to please God, you have to have faith. So won't you look at your neighbor and say you need to have faith. You have to have faith. It's impossible to please God without it. That's a pretty strong statement coming from the Apostle Paul. It's impossible to please God without faith. So if we're going to have a fruit-filled summer where we're filling up with this faith, we need to understand some things about faith. And I want you to understand this, that if you turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, this is called in, in, in the, the church world that we live in, that everybody, if they talk about, if you talk about, how many's ever heard of the Hall of Fame? There's football Hall of Fame, there's all kinds of Hall of Fames. Well, in the church world, they call this the Hall of Faith. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is the Hall of Faith. It's where that many things listed by the writer of Hebrews, which I think is Apostle Paul. Some people think differently than that, but I, I believe that it's the Apostle Paul writing these things. But really, it doesn't matter. It, all that matters is in our Bible, and it's truth. Amen? So here we have it. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. So I want to ask this question, what is faith? So if we're saying that without faith it's impossible to please God, we've got to know what is faith, right? So let's study, what is faith? But if the Bible tells us what faith is, we should go by what the Bible says. Amen? So here, the writer is saying, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not yet seen. So if you want to know what faith is, it's the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not yet seen. So that tells us right now that faith is unseen. Amen? That faith is not tangible. That faith is not something we can hold on to. But faith is blind, basically. And the Bible says that the just shall walk by faith. And the Bible teaches us that we shall walk by faith and not by sight. So when we're talking about what is faith, we're saying this, that we're having the ability to walk in faith is the ability to take steps even when you can't see where you're going. Even when you don't have a predetermined destination that God is taking you on this journey of faith, it's walking the walk, it's keeping the faith, it's doing what God calls you to do, even though it don't make sense, even though my mind can't rationalize it, even though I can't put it into thought or into words what God has called me to do, it's doing what He said, in, no matter what uh, perspective I have, it's what perspective He has. What is faith? 
faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not yet seen. What are you dreaming about? What has God called you to do? What is your faith today? Not your ambitions. Not for what you want to accomplish in this life. But what has God called you specifically, individually, to do? What is faith? Faith is substance. Maybe unseen, but it's still substance. So I remember this verse alongside of my Hebrews 11, 6 verse, because this is about five verses before that. And whenever I read Hebrews chapter 11, 6, and I remember I was that way back 20 or 18 years ago. This verse was one I took to account too. Faith is the substance. So I took that word substance and I broke it apart. Prefix, sub, means underlying. Stance is a way of standing. So I thought about that. Faith is an underlying thing to stand on. So today in this room, if it seems like all hell has been washing against and eroding against everything that you've tried to stand on, if it seems like you're on sinking sand, if it feels like that you're being buried by the cares of this world, I'm telling you today, put your feet on the solid rock, which is Jesus Christ, and stand on the faith of that and that alone, and it will always be there. He will always be there for you to stand on. He will hold you up. He's the lifter of our head. The Scripture teaches us through and through that God is the answer to our problems. Amen. So faith is the substance of things I'm hoping for. Amen. What's that mean? I've got the ability to stand on this thing. Why? Because God said it. And if God says it, that settles it. Amen. I've got faith today to believe that God is able to tell me some things that my neighbor may say, you're crazy for believing that. Why do you believe in an invisible God that you've never seen? Why? Because I've got faith. It's a substance that I can stand on. That I know God is real. And it's not tangible. And it's not a real thing that you can touch. But guess what? It's a substance for me. And it's enough. Faith is the substance of those things you're hoping for. And what if we would truly get a hold of the faith that God has provided for us and we would be standing on the promises of God and we would count them as yes and amen the way Scripture teaches us that Jesus told us that the promises of God are yes and amen. That if God says it, it's so. Faith, a fruit that we need I think there's some people in this room today that we say if we know what faith is, well, what's the opposite of faith? Doubt? Unbelief? Amen? And I don't want to stand on doubt, do you? I don't want to stand on unbelief. I want to believe and trust in God. And if He says it, I want to believe it. But sometimes it's hard when you read a Scripture and you look at it and you say, well, I don't know if I believe that or not. Well, what do you need to do? His word don't fail. His word is not void. It will always accomplish the thing that He set it out to accomplish. His word is truth, church. So who gives faith? 
So now that we know what faith is, that it's a substance, and we, and we know that and understand that it's a, a substance of the things hoped for, that's evidence of things we ain't yet seen, then, then who gives faith? Where do we get this from? Who gives it? Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, For I say, though grace is given to me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be cocky. Amen. Don't be puffed up. Don't think more of yourself than you ought to. In the American culture we live in, we're pretty guilty about that, I believe. We think more of ourselves than we ought to. But it goes on to say, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Who gives faith? Where did your faith come from? You didn't conjure it up yourself. You didn't just sit out there one day and think, I'm going to change my mind today and I'm going to believe what I didn't believe before. Paul says that the measure of faith was given by God. Amen. That he gives to every man a measure of faith. Jesus said that if you have faith of the size of a grain of mustard seed and speak to a mountain, the mountain has to be removed and cast into the sea. Amen. So it isn't a big faith. It's not some overwhelming thing. It's faith is something that's given by God and he gives it in measure. So what does that mean? I don't know what measure he gives me. Some people's got more faith than others. Amen. If you've ever been around somebody that truly believes, that don't back up, that they'll stand on the promises of God, they've got the gift of faith, that it's something God's given them, apparently they've got a bigger measure than me because sometimes I won't believe when others are believing. Amen. Yeah. So what am I saying? The measuring cup is different. Every person in this room is not identical. We're not all the same. We're all in our human form today. We have these broken bodies. These bodies that we're living in is just a temporal place. It's just a temple that we're living in. But the Spirit of God is living on the inside of us. Amen. Amen. And we're not all the same. Don't you look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad I'm not like you. Amen. I, I'm glad I'm not like you, brother and sister. Wow. That's a, you got Dr. Mary up here. Like, yeah, I'm glad I'm not like you. Everybody's, everybody's happy about that. Everybody's, everybody's happy about their individualism today. And God is too. So God is saying today, I give to everybody a measure of faith, but He don't say how much. Amen. He gives everybody a measure. And guess what? Some people cooking a cake might put in three cups of flour and somebody else might put in two. Somebody else baking a cake might put in three eggs and somebody might put in one. Somebody might put in two, two, two cups of sugar and somebody else might put in half. Karen's laughing because she's wanting to tell her story. She made Ernie a cake for Valentine's Day a few years ago. She had a little heart-shaped pan because she was trying to make it, you know, all lovey-dovey for Valentine's Day. And she pours it in until it's full. But how many knows what happens to a cake when you put it in the oven? She puts two boxes in it to make sure it's plumb full. You know, that way the pan's full. It rolls over, gets in the oven, burns, melts, stinks up the whole house, and Ernie eats it anyway. Because it was a lovely, lovely cake. The measure matters. Amen? The measure matters. 
And guess what? Because somebody else may have more faith than you, doesn't give you a right to look at them with uh, angst or with regard of thinking, man, I wish I had their faith. You know what you need to look at somebody else that may have greater faith than you? And look at him and say, I thank God that He's given you more faith because now I'm going to call on you to believe when I cannot. Amen? Amen. He gives a measure of faith, church, and because somebody else's is more or less, and maybe you have all the faith in the world to move mountains, and maybe you need to look at those others and don't look down on them when they don't believe, but you just stand on that as a substance that God has given me enough not only to believe for myself, but also to believe for you. Amen? That we don't look down upon each other because, well, they don't have as much faith as me and put other people down. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus walked around and He said, greater faith that I've not seen in all of Israel than you, O centurion. You come to me and ask this question and you've got great faith and you're not even a Jew. Jesus looks for faith. God gives it in measure. And not everybody's the same. So whenever you don't have enough, Find somebody that does. Come on, church. Whenever you don't have enough faith, whenever the measure in your life doesn't seem that you've got enough to believe what God has called you to do, find you somebody else that will believe when you can't. That's Scripture. God wants you to believe in what He's given you. God gives that faith. How do we get faith? How do we get faith? Romans 10, verse 17. Paul writing to the Roman church, he says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Faith comes when you hear. Faith when you come to church on Memorial Day, and serves on faith, and you walk out believing something and thinking, man, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to trust God even when I walked in thinking I couldn't. Amen. Amen. I walked in busted and disgusted. I'm going to walk out thinking God's getting ready to prepare me for the things He has me called for me to do. Amen. I'm going to walk out the door with believing when I thought I was broke, busted, and disgusted. I'm going to walk out believing I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. Amen. I believe I trust God because why? He supplies all my need according to His riches in glory. Why? Because God said it. What if we had faith today, believe and trust in an almighty God and say, why, how can I get this? Because I need to hear it, amen. We need to be in church, why? So we can hear. We need to be listening to the gospel channel and the K-Love and all the different things on the radio. Why? Because so we can hear. Why? Because it increases my faith. The disciples that walked beside of Jesus one time, they'd been with him for several years and they was walking through one day and they said, Jesus, increase our faith. Can I tell you today, it don't matter if you've been walking with Him 25 years, 35 years, 45 years, 50 years, you still need to be looking at Jesus and say, increase my faith. Amen. Let me hear. Let me believe. So the question now is, can I lose my faith? I know what faith is. I know who gives faith. I know how to get faith. Can I lose it? Can I lose ground? Colossians chapter 1 verse 23 says, If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, Amen. which you have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, 
Wherefore I, Paul, am made a minister, if ye continue in the faith. Why would Paul say, if you continue, if you could not walk away from it? Is there anybody in this room that will say, Pastor Ben, you told a story last week about being backslidden and walking away from God, and I'm guilty of that, that I have known God and I've walked away from Him, and I knew I was separated from Him. I was lost and undone after I found God. Amen? It's called a backslidden state. Since he's married to the backslider, he wants you back, absolutely. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul speaking to his son in the Spirit named Timothy, he says, Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times, or latter days, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and to doctrine of devils. Paul's telling Timothy, his young preacher, that he's trying to set up, that Paul knows he's getting ready to go on, that he's, his, his journey here on earth is, is fixing to be done, and Paul understands this, and he's trying to preach and teach to this next generation and tell the next generation, like we got sitting on the front row here today, and he's telling them, guess what? Uh-oh, that's you too. Uh-oh, there's nothing behind you. you. You need to be told. In the last days, seducing spirits are going to come. And they're going to entice you to walk away from the faith that you've heard sitting in his pews in his chairs. Paul is telling the next generation, keep believing even when I'm gone. So as a pastor today, can I tell you in this room, if something happens to me, keep believing even when I'm gone. Keep the faith because you can lose it. Keep the faith. Because I'm telling you today, according to Scripture, it says you can lose it. That you can walk away from it. That seducing spirits will come. And they're going to try to tempt you. There's going to be doctrines of devils and all these different things. But we need to believe. Amen. And trust Amen. that the Word of God is truth. So if you want to know what do I need to stand on, stand on that word. It's the substance for all your life. And whenever those other doctrines come, Covey, and they try to teach you something else, and you go back and say, well, what does the Bible say about it? If so, whenever it comes, they, they say, well, you need to believe this or you need to believe that, you need to say, well, what does the Bible say about it? Right? Same to you, my brother. Believe what the Bible says. You can get paid on the back there, Jason. You can get paid on the back. What about Curry back here? She needs to hear that too. Curry, keep believing. Even when everybody else walks away, stand your ground for what Scripture teaches. Amen? So if it's possible to lose it, my last question is this, is it possible to keep it? Because in the last days, seducing spirits and all these different things, doctrines of devils are going to come and they're going to try to pull everybody away. The Bible even says that in the last days, Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 24, and he says there's going to be a great falling away, that there's going to be the love of many will wax cold. He talks about all these things about how the church is going to be falling off the wayside. So guess what? If it's possible for all that to happen, is it possible for me as an individual to keep my faith? So I go back to the Bible to find out is it possible for somebody to keep their faith? 
2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, Paul's still telling Timothy these things. He's still preaching to this next generation. And he says this, Paul tells Timothy, and this is right before he dies, he's laying in this, in this prison in Rome, and they're getting ready to behead him and kill him, and he knows this is coming. He knows that it's the end of his course. And he says this, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I've kept it. Kept the faith. Amen. It's not that I used to have faith. It's not that I had faith most of my life. It's not that I started out with faith. Paul said, I have kept the faith. Amen. Is that you in this room today? Are you sitting there in the place that you're sitting from your perspective? I've never walked in your shoes. I will never walk in your shoes because... You're a different individual than me. But are you sitting there today thinking, you know what, Pastor Ben, I'm glad that Paul said that because now I know that I have kept the faith too. And I know it's possible for me because it may seem like, and I've been having some thoughts lately because the doctrine and this seduction is going on in these last days and it feels like I'm being seduced to go back and do the things I used to do. But I know now it's possible to keep the faith. And today I'm going to decide in this room that I'm going to keep the faith until the very end. I'm going to finish my course. Amen. I'm going to do what Paul did. Why? Because the next generation don't need to see people walking in and out. They need to see people staying. Amen? They need to be seeing people that will stand on the rock. The substance of the faith in the Word of God more than anything else. I've kept the faith. Is that you? first sermon I ever preached in my life was on faith. And I wrote this as a top header. I was meaning to bring it this morning, but I forgot. I'm sorry. I'll post it on Facebook. It's chicken scratches. I, I'm not really good at writing and all that. And I was handwriting back then. This was right during about Y2K time. So I wasn't even on a computer. And I hand wrote this. And at the top of the page it says this. This is what my first sermon said. I was nervous. I was the person that couldn't speak in front of nobody. In eighth grade, Mr. Harmon made us get up and recite the Gettysburg Address. I was red. I was... I was flushed. I was couldn't speak in front of people. Pretty good at one on one. I can talk to people one on one. You give me a crowd of three or four people, I get embarrassed to death, Ernie. This way, if I keep talking about this much, I'm going to go back to that point right now. <laughs> so you need to think about this. I got saved in October of 1999. And I went to youth camp in June of the following year and standing down there at youth camp, I went as a counselor and they had us, to, these kids were praying for us, the youth were praying for us, even the counselors. And I felt the call of God. And God said, you're going to preach. I was like, whoa. Colonel Richmond can preach. Raymond Lewis can preach. Everybody else can preach, but not me. 
I'm embarrassed to stand in front of people, God. Do you not know what you do you even know who you're talking to here? Maybe, maybe you hit the wrong button. Maybe you called the wrong number, God. And he's like, no, I've called you to preach. So I go to my youth pastor, because that's the only thing I know to do. And I go to my youth pastor and I say, I feel like I'm called to preach. He said, good, get yourself together. Get something together? What, what do you mean? I, I've not went to college. I don't know anything about any of this stuff. I can't write a speech. Just get you something together. That's all he said to me. And about a month or so later, he comes to me and says, you got anything together? I was like, I've been scratching all over this paper. i got a piece of paper with all kinds of stuff wrote all over so, yeah, I, I, I've got something. They said, good, you're going to preach Wednesday. I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> so Wednesday night, youth, there's about 70 teenagers comes to that church in Revival. The, the youth group is in Revival. There's about 70 kids there every Wednesday night. It's, all, it's bigger than the big church. There's more teenagers in that church on Wednesday night than there was adults. It's amazing. When kids get fired up and, can, and start believing in something, they say, thank you, it's impossible. But here I am over there as a counselor, and I stand up, and, and Pastor Josh tells me, okay, so next Wednesday I go up there, and I, and I stand up there, and I, I've been practicing all week. You know, I've been sitting in my trailer. I've been reading through this. I've got notes wrote down the front and the back page, plumb full of stuff, and chicken scratches everywhere. And I'm thinking, man, this is going to last for 45 minutes, and I'm going to give an altar call, and people's going to come running like Billy Graham Crusade. And in my mind, I had all this worked out, you know, just how it was going to go. So I stand up there, and next thing you know, that, that, that Wednesday night comes, and the, after the praise and worship is over, and I'm standing there, and I'm holding on to that podium, and I look out, about 70 teenagers sitting there looking at me thinking, wow, Ben's going to speak. I could barely get words out. And I had to go by what was on the paper. Because in that moment, I couldn't think of nothing else. And the top of my paper said this, and this is what I want you to believe today. So what I want you to hear today, not believe today. Because my verse is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith it's impossible to please God for those who come to Him must believe that He is, he is and He is rewarded those that diligently seek Him. Why do I memorize that? Because it was my verse. What's yours? Do you have a verse? If you don't, ask God to give you one. Because it'll sustain you for life. It'll give you the ability to stand up and talk to 70 teenagers when you think you can't. Find your verse. Let God speak to your heart and say, this is for you. But on the top of that paper, I said this. It's not believing He can. Anybody can do that. It's knowing you will. And I'll never forget that first sermon. It's not believing you can. It's knowing you will. That's what faith is to me. Aunt Mary, you drove up there at night, didn't you? I believe. You was there. Howie was there. Y'all drove up to racing. Hear him preach. And it lasted a whole of about five minutes. And Pastor Josh was so much more skilled in the ministry at that point in time that he had planned ahead for that and he knew that was going to happen. That he made up in his mind that he wasn't just going to ask me to preach, he was going to ask two others to preach because he knew we was all going to preach our first message and it was all going to last about five minutes. 
So Pastor Josh's wife, Sister Beth, gets up. She preaches her message. He goes right along with it. I forget who the third one was. I was just so caught up in the moment. About five minutes apiece, and then Josh had to finish it up because we all three lasted about 15 minutes. What have you stepped out and done for God lately that He's called you to do? It's believing even when you can't see. It's trusting. So I read this little story online, and I want to read it to you. One night a house caught fire, and a young boy was forced to flee to the roof. The father stood on the ground below with outstretched arm, calling to his son, he was screaming, jump, I'll catch you. He knew the young boy had to jump to save his life. All the boy could see, however, was flame and smoke and blackness. As could be imagined, he was afraid to leave the roof. But his father kept yelling, jump, I will catch you. But the boy protested, daddy, I can't see you. The father replied, but I can see you, and that's all that matters. Let's stand. God is calling some people in this room today to jump. He's screaming and telling you, jump. And you're saying, but I can't see you because of all the things going on in my life. I, I know you're there. I can hear your voice and I can hear you speak, but I, I can't see you, God. I can't touch you today. And I, I, I don't understand. And, and I know it makes sense right now for me to jump, but I really can't because I can't see you. God's calling you to jump. some people in this room that you've never took that leap of faith to trust God with your life. To make Him the Lord of your life. And He's asking you today, I know you can't see me because of the flames and because of the smoke and because of what all's going on. But He's calling you. Scripture does teach that no man can come to the Father unless the Father draws him. He's speaking to your heart in this place today. He's saying, have faith. Have faith in me. And I will be pleased. Won't you bow your head and close your eyes? Maybe you're in this room today and you know that you want this summer to be different than any other summer that you've ever had. And that you're tired of living life according to your terms and you're ready to say, you know what? God, I want a fruit-filled summer. I want to trust you like I never have. 
And today is the day, Lord, that I want to accept you as the Lord and Savior of my life. I've got faith to believe today that I'm opening up my heart's door and I'm going to say, come on in. I've got faith to believe even when I cannot see. Is there anybody here that's that you that you're saying, today's the day I want to accept you. Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. And I want to walk out of this place. Amen. Thank you for that hand. Anybody else? There's other here that God's talking to you and He's calling you saying, A fruit-filled summer is before you. All you got to do is accept me and ask for me to be the Lord of your life and I will. Is there anybody else here? They raise your hand and say, That's me, Pastor Ben. Today is my day. Anybody else? Is there anybody here that will say, Pastor Ben, I was one of those ones that once upon a time I had faith. I was taught during vacation Bible school and I remember accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life. I ate the Kool-Aid. I drank the cookies. I attended Sunday school. But today I can feel God pricking at my heart's door and He's telling me, you've not been living like you should have been living. And he's asking me to come back home. And today, that's me. I want to come back home. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to surrender my all to Him. Is there anybody here that say, that's me. I'm returning back home because I've walked away from Him. Not that He's walked away from me. Is there anybody in here that say, that's me. Amen. Thank you for that hand. Anybody else? Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. Is anybody else? God is working on your heart right now and you can feel your chest. And your heart's about to beat out of your chest and he's asking you to come home. Come home and trust me with your life because my plans are better than yours. Is there anybody else that can say that's me? Anyone else? I want everybody in this room to pray this prayer with me. Whether you raised your hand or you didn't. Everybody say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I'm asking you to forgive me for my sins, for my faults, for my failures. Cover me with your blood. Make me righteous today. Let me be justified in your sight. Let me have heaven as my home. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.